Hey, Hillary, guess what? What, Jenny? We have arrived. Arrived? We have finally made it to Octum Baby. We're ready for what's next. Oh, are we ever. We have been talking about how Octum Baby is our next episode since January. For the record, it is August. Yeah. It's in the same calendar year, at least. But, I mean, I feel like we had really good content in between. We weren't, like, stretching it out. Mostly. Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the past couple weeks have been stretching it out. The past month, two months. <laughs> but yeah. I gotta make this excuse. That this album is just so huge for me in my life. That the thought of breaking it down just felt unthinkable like I couldn't wrap my brain around it I can read books around it I can read interviews I can read articles I can listen to it all day every day but the thought of having a coherent conversation about it that's not just pure emotion like we can sit here and say oh my god it's so good oh my god it's so good oh my god it's so good over I just feel like for every song we should just have like a three minute moment of silence yeah (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> we know it's so good. Let me so throw good. that in, too. We don't always have the most positive things to say about every single song, but it's you, too. And at least in my life, this is all a given that these are the best songs ever. So for one, not to be you right on... You 2 in general or Octa Baby? No, you 2 in general. You two, yeah, that's what I thought you meant. Yeah, if we have something not great to say about a song... Generally, it's not like we hate this song. We're just like, in terms of other U2 songs, it's just relative. Yes. And I know there are some fans out there who just love every single song. And, you know, Godspeed. But I feel like there's so much variety in their catalog that there is something for everyone. And I just can't imagine liking everything the most. No, I, I agree with that. But also, I don't like to be... An ass kisser. <laughs> no. I like to be at least a little bit of a no man. Yeah. No woman. No person. So, uh, a few little interesting things first. Let's talk about our drink of the night. What do you think a- we should drink tonight, Jenny? Well, I think we need something special. Like, not just our normal too. whiskey to commend this occasion. Mm, it should be themed. Something... Album uh, themed. Something baby, but also Irish. Something German sounding. German word that we know. (laughs) (laughs) I know this word, Achtung. It means like careful, danger. Attention. Don't slip. (laughs) Attention. Public bathroom. (laughs) Right. It's also like when they have at the grocery store, when they have a thing that says slippery when wet, it also says Achtung. Achtung. The Super and wet. That's a good ever. name for an album. <laughs> yeah. So, Octung and a baby. Something what's a baby. What's a baby drink we enjoy? Is it something we've had in Ireland? Yeah. What if it's a baby Guinness? An Octung baby Guinness? I think that is a perfect idea. That is so great. What are, do you think the ingredients should be in that? Well, let me check my shelf right here i think i have them (laughs) so a baby guinness is a shot that is mostly kalua and topped with 
Bailey's and when poured just right, it looks like a little baby Guinness. Oh my gosh, that's what I have here too. In a shot glass. My shot glass says hi from St. Martin with a little marijuana leaf on it. Mine says New York, which I realize is the wrong album. (laughs) Well, we're not in New York or in St. Martin, so. No. Well, Octung Baby. Octung Baby. Guinness. Oh, I might pour that one a little heavy. So we're going to need a game. And I propose that we need to do an Octum Baby Guinness shot every time we come across a song that has at least one mention of the word baby. Not per baby occurrence, but per song that contains the word. Yes. I do not contain enough ingredients. No. Or or my strong enough liver. (laughs) Or a strong enough liver. Yeah, so I heard this fact that there are 27 mentions of the word baby individually. And did you hear that from a certain lead singer? Did. It's a fact I've not counted, so I don't know if it's correct or not. But if you don't think it's correct, then take it up with the singer, Bono. Well, you guys know him. I have taken counts, and he is incorrect. He's incorrect. Yes. Bono, if you're listening, let us know where you got that figure from, 27. There are more babies in one song. In 27? In 27. Wow. I I think I can guess that song. We'll get to that later, though. Okay, so two unrelated things that I just would like to say before we dive in. So I've been listening to Royally Obsessed podcast, mm-hmm. and they refer to their podcast as the pod. And they talk about something and they're like, hey, if you have information on it, you should come on the pod. And I just decided <gasps> we need to adopt that saying. Well, which reminds me, we forgot to mention to people and welcome them to this official Tart Talk. Yes. A new feature. Garden yes. Tarts. We've said that everything that is YouTube research related is an official tart talk. Like a TED talk? Yes. But oh, with tarts. Okay. It's like a play on words. Yes. Not like little delicious treats. Us, no. Ladies. Yes. <laughs> Not like sweet tarts or lemon tarts. It's just no. us. Garden tarts. Yes. Tart talks are a new on feature the pod. on the pod. Yeah. Okay, so here's a funny story. My mom texted me as I was preparing my notes for tonight organizing. She said, the gigs are ready to pick. (laughs) And then underneath it, she said, figs. And then underneath that, she said, dumb phone. So I said, I knew what you meant. (laughs) And she said, would you like me to pick some gigs for you? And I said, yes. I'd like some in Dublin and Pittsburgh. And then we both had crying emojis of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could use some gigs about now. Yeah, right. And some figs. Man, figs are good. I want some figs. I just had to share that on the pod because I feel like I thought you y'all guys would laugh at that. <laughs> so we are talking about Octumbe, which was released on November 18th, 1991, recorded from October 1990 until September 1991, which in terms of 
the length of time it takes them to make an album today is a really super short amount of time. Yeah, but not just that, but, right? But they finished recording in September and the album came out in November. What? Like now it takes like a year to mix an album. Right. So that is just remarkable. It was recorded in uh, Hansa Studios in Berlin, Elsinore in Dalky, STS in Dublin, and Windmill Lane in Dublin. And Dalky actually is where we were told that the baby Guinnesses weren't just a touristy thing, that locals drank them too. I don't know that I believe that. Yeah, we asked, and she was, I feel, feel like that was a very kind female bartender we had that night, and she was like, oh, no, no, so she was either being, like, really nice to us or being honest. Either way, she was being nice. Okay, well, then let's have 269 of them. <laughs> In truth, it was like, okay, let's have 12 of them. <laughs> oh, my God, they're so good. So good. It costs, like, a million dollars, though. For not really expensive ingredients. No. But anyway. So, more facts about Octung Baby. It was produced by Daniel Lama and Brian Eno. The title, Bono tells the story from the producers. Yeah, But I googled it. Oh, yeah? There's no clip of it. There's no... No one can find a scene where Octung Baby is said... In the producer, in the movie, the original movie. So apparently, it's something I, that Joe O'Hurley would say, their sound mixer, and that he, he said it was he, from that movie. Right. So I mean, we're it's going by, you know, it's like playing telephone that right. Joe said that to Bono, and then Bono said it to some reporter, book writer, or somebody. Right. And then we're hearing it. So. Who knows? But when I Google Octum Baby, the producers, it comes up Daniel Lanois and Brian Eno. (laughs) (laughs) True? True. True. There you go. The singles were The Fly, which was released October 21st, 1991. Mysterious Ways released November 24th, 1991. One released February 24th, 1992. Even better than the real thing, June 8, 1992, and Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses, August 92. This list in the back is a different list of singles, though, because they also have Until the End of the World, which apparently was just a Canadian release. I wonder Um, if that had to do with the movie soundtrack or something. Oh, that's a really excellent point. I've never seen the movie. Have you seen it? It's a Vin Vendors movie, for those of you who don't know. I own the soundtrack. I don't think I've seen it. I can see the like movie poster and yeah. the cover of the soundtrack, but I right. never have seen it. I don't think I've seen it. Yeah, but it was a good moving album, and it was on the U.S. Billboard 200 decade chart. It came in at number 74, which is nice. uh, pretty nice. It also won a Grammy for Best Rock Album. Eno and the Wah got a Grammy for the Producers of the Year, and it was nominated for Album of the Year. Just N.T. Shabs. N.T. Shabs. I don't know that I remember those Grammys very well, but I'm sure I watched them. Yeah, me too. Um, so, do you have more stats, or can we get into, like, the dirty, nitty-gritty... Okay, yeah, so, no, I'm done with the stats. So, at the end of 
the Joshua Tree Love Town tour, Bono famously said that they needed to go away and dream it all up again. And um, The Edge said that Oxen Baby sounds like four men chopping down the Joshua Tree. You know, one leads directly to the other. To dream it up again and chop down that Joshua Tree. And that's what this album sounds like. A new dream and a down tree. So, as you like to say, U2's albums tend to fall into trilogies. And this is the beginning of the trilogy that is Octon Baby, Zeropa, and Pop. And Bono said something very similar at the end of the war tour before Unforgettable Fire about, he didn't say dream it all up again, but he, we talked about it in that Unforgettable Fire episode, but about how they needed to go do something new. And so Unforgettable Fire was so incredibly different than War. Octane Baby was such a huge departure from Joshua Tree and Rattle and Hum. But it makes me wonder if people who were fans of Boy and October and War felt the similar way with Unforgettable Fire that kind of the rest of the world did with Octane Baby. That's a really good question. I mean, Octon Baby is just such a, such a huger scale and more center stage of the world because they had become the biggest band in the world. Okay. Everyone was paying attention. Everyone knew Joshua Tree and everyone knew for Rattle and Hum. So for Octon Baby to come next was just like a smack in the face. So huge. And maybe it wasn't as big in the early 80s, but this is their cycle. It is. If you were a fan prior to Unforgettable Fire. Let us know what your thoughts were when Unforgettable Fire came out, because I would really I'm like to know someone. Really intrigued by that, yeah. Really intrigued. Um, that's an excellent question. So in the time between the end of Rattle and Hum, Joshua Tree era, a lot happened on, on personal levels in the band. Bono had two babies, Edge had a baby, and separated from his wife of many, many years. Yes, um, heading to divorce. Which has really aff- affected everyone in the band because they're just such a close-knit family. And, right. I and they had, there were other people in their Sorry. lives that were going through similar circumstances. Yeah. Fractured um, relationships and such. And, you know, just... It was a, a roller coaster of a few years there. And one of the things Brian Eno said was domesticity is the enemy of rock and roll, which when you think about that, it's got to be hard to juggle carpool and recording a rock album. Right. You got to work on your marriage and take the kids to school and go be a rock star. It kind of is like being an acrobat. We'll get to that later. Act like that. It all makes sense. (laughs) So because of their families and their home lives at the time, they decided to get out of town to record. Paul McGinnis said that one of the that they looked into LA and New York, they were just like, that's done. Yeah, for sure. There's, you know, albums inspired by the US, they did that. It was in the past that they decided to go to Hansa Studios in Berlin, which I think the general consensus is that Hansa Studios was an SS ballroom. Yeah. So that's what I remember here. Not a yeah, cheerful place. Not great <laughs> vibes there. Hansa was where many, many amazing albums were recorded. David Bowie recorded Low and Heroes, and he worked with Brian Eno 
it is a misconception that Eno produced those albums with Bowie at Hansa, but he did not. And I do think that might have been a, a Bonoism as well. <laughs> but also recorded at Hansa, Iggy Pop, Nick Cave, Depeche Mode, Susie and the Banshees, R.E.M., and Snow Patrol. So you two went to Germany to look for inspiration. It was a year after the wall came down. They flew in the last flight on October 3rd, 1990, the last flight into East Berlin before unification, and thought this would be a great place to have inspiration. But they were just coming from 35 years of communist oppression right. and 28 years with a wall dividing the city. And it was winter and it was not a happy, cheerful place. No. To me, it sounds like a kind of dumb idea to go there. I mean, obviously, Especially good when came you're from not there, but happy, cheerful people at the time. No, all the time. No. Yeah. So it wasn't a really conducive environment for people that needed to come together to record no, the, an album. The band was split in two, for sure. Anyway, Adam and Larry were really enjoying the direction that. Josh with Tree and Rattle and Hum had taken them with these really strong traditional beats while Bono and Edge were off learning about techno and rave music and these very European sounds. And they brought all that in like, oh, we're going to do this. And where they're like, wait, what? Yeah. Like Edge was listening to Nine Inch Nails and Larry was listening to Ginger Baker and John Bonham, which are absolutely wonderful drummers and I love that music, but it's nowhere near where Bono and Edge were going or right. where you two needed to go right. directly. So there was a lot of tension, maybe <laughs> tension, anxiety, animosity. Um, there was just a, yeah. A big riff in the band that our band they was almost, literally falling apart. Yes. They almost didn't make it. I have a note here. Bono and Edge were working closer than usual and writing in isolation, which really threw Adam and Larry, because usually they write songs together. That wasn't happening. Bono's the sole lyricist on this album. You know, he's not always, but sometimes it says lyrics by you too. Right. Most of the time it says lyrics by Bono, but all the lyrics on Octum Baby are written by hmm. Bono. I have a note, at least one note in one song that says Edge came up with something. But maybe he didn't get credit. Yeah, maybe not. The other night I was kind of having a hard time doing my research and my brother called me very late at night and to talk about a few different things. But he started talking about Octon Baby and he had a lot to say that I don't completely agree with, but was provoking. Um, he said that the album does sound like a United Europe, which is definitely what they were going for. Right. But it also sounds like people that went after college go backpacking through Europe for the summer and decide that they're gay and then come home and they're like no I'm not and he said <laughs> this is experimentation. just experimentation <laughs> he said it sounds like it, they don't specifically revisit the sounds of Octane Baby which on one hand I disagree with right. but Zuropa is obviously an extension of Octane Baby but right. magic doesn't happen twice and so he's kind of right on that end that the way that the album was made, the way that it sounds, they did not revisit it. Exactly. Little bits and pieces, but n not entirely. Yeah. So I have a few they things to say they... about that. And one is, I do see his perspective on that. 
Two is I don't think they could ever revisit it because, God, I hope they are never back in that place. That no, emotional. No, no, no. I don't mean Germany. I mean that emotional fractured place where we were literally losing our band. Like if this album was not finished, we would not have our band, especially not as we know them today. But they would say this was it. There's some quote from Bono that I meant to write down, but he was like, you two only exist today because Oxen Baby was made. And as much as let's let, let's get really like tactile with this. Like, let's say you have a house and everything is supported and it's wood beams and piping and flooring and tiles. And it's all made of this different material. But the foundation is like cement, right? And you never, you don't really need to use cement in the rest of the house. But the foundation is strong and it, I mean, God, I hope it doesn't crack. (laughs) But in general, it's meant to support the house for the lifetime of that house. And that to me is Oxen Baby. It doesn't need to match the rest of the house. It just needs to hold, hold everything up. And part of that is personal for me because Oxen Baby was the catalyst to my entire you two love like this was my first album i got the cd at the suggestion of some friends and i just never looked back like it grabbed me like i didn't have a choice <laughs> it was right we've talked about this i didn't choose to keep listening to octon baby it like literally would not let go and we'll talk about this more when we get into a few of the individual songs but to hear some of these songs live nowadays and not just 2018 but before then these songs they're grabbing new meaning things that were about fractured relationships are now activism songs like right. it's amazing how things can be reborn and on that they i don't know that they revisit things in recorded versions but they have certainly brought the songs back in a way that fits today's world right that's so, very very well said yeah this band just went from so many years of learning about and singing about america and American blues and American rhythm and Ronald Reagan and Cold War politics and being shot at in San Salvador. And all of a sudden, the world is like shut out. This album, it is so internal and it's just them in their little tiny world. As much as it's like a European sounding album, it's, it's just the, interpersonal. It's so personal a reporter asked bono it actually was just a statement he said there's so much self-hatred on this album and bono called it a black beauty but now these songs have been revisited into a larger scale in the world but this is just all them and to think that it turned into this zoo tv this huge ass (laughs) media event when it's about like their world falling apart just blows my mind I have like theses. Like, <laughs> this is why this album scared me because I didn't know what was going to come out of it. Yeah. Oh, I have a fun fact. Okay. That is the album is called Oxen Baby out of jest because a Joe O'Hurley he apparently said Oxen Baby all the time. Two a and then two <laughs> a and b. They had a rule that they weren't allowed to use the word baby, and since it's on it 269 times, they might as well put it in the title. They also thought the title was kind of playful and frivolous and kind of took away from the darkness of the album. But they also thought it was might be called man, which is the opposite of boy. As opposed, not the opposite, it's a grown-up boy. 
they thought it'd be called Adam. That's my next note. Adam's number on display. And I there's another one. I think it, they almost called it Fear of Women. Yes. Is that what it is? This album is just dripping in all things women <laughs> in yeah. relationships with them. Whether it's sexuality or spirituality or jealousy, admiration, it's the good and the bad, but no matter what, it's kind of, it's bowing at the feet of women mm-hmm. in good and bad ways. It, this album is, and there's more to talk about this later, unfortunately, but this album is definitely a very sexual album, which is very. not a YouTube thing. But in a, gosh, in such a poetic way. We'll get to it. Yeah. Should we get to the songs? Let's get into it. Our first song is Zoo Station, which has four babies. Four babies? Okay. Four babies. We're just going to do one. We we need a shot. And it's all in one line. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. (laughs) Sounds like a no doubt song. Right. Oh, hey. Didn't Bono write that? I think Bono wrote that He did write or that song? Come up with hey. Hey baby, hey baby, hey. He might have. Okay. Get your often baby Guinness. Cheers to four babies. Cheers. Another reason, and it's pertinent to this song, that, and this kind of blew my mind. It makes so much sense and it's so simple. But Bono's wife, Allie, was pregnant <laughs> with their second daughter and had her during the making of this album, which you mentioned before. So he's like, babies on the mind. So there's all these lyrics, literally the first verse of Zoo Station, I'll be crawling around on my hands and my knees. I'm picturing the fly, like, sleeting around, and Bono's imagining his baby crawling across the floor. <laughs> right. It's clear that he had baby fever. Oxfam baby fever. We do have to talk about how this song opens. It's this speaker explosion, which credit is given to flood for that but here i've heard bono mention this a million times i've heard adam quote it he's like oh we wanted people to put this album on and think their speakers were broken and i'm like are they serious because i legit did that in high school i was sitting at my desk getting ready to do homework i'd put the cd in i had speakers on top of two different bookshelves and that album zoo station started i legit I turned it off. I unplugged everything. I took my speakers (laughs) down. I unconnected, reconnected the whole rigmarole. I thought that shit was broken. Well, it's interesting because I think in the Rattle and Hum app, there was a story, I feel like you told the story, that Bono and Adam went on a road trip across the country and then lost their car or something and had a hitchhike. They were hit, they were getting from LA to New Orleans and they had yeah. rented cars and they hitchhiked. Yeah, and they yeah. got into some guy's truck and I think it was uh, pour some sugar on me. Yep. And they yep. said mental note, this sounds really good on the radio. People want what sounds good on the radio. Yes. And that makes such a difference. I mean yep. you know, with that full binaural sound, which Oxford Baby is made for a good stereo. Yeah. You hear that, which I just find that really interesting because clearly that was something that they continued to think of. 
So when you listen to the end of Unforgettable Fire, the last song is MLK. First song of Joshua Tree is where the streets have no name. And they yes. all almost run into each other like smoothly. Yes. Like it could be an offshoot of the same song. It's so smooth how those two songs go together. Now think about the last song of <laughs> Rattle and Home and the first of Octon Baby. We're talking about All I Want Is You and Zoo Station, which could not be further apart. Rattle and Hum ended with All I Want Is You, which is a meditation on marriage, like we talked about in that ep. Then Octon Baby is that marriage imploding. So I have a really great quote to go with that. If you all are listening to U2X Radio, they have some segments like hour-long shows where they have like a guest DJ, someone famous come in and it's, you know, guest DJ plays U2. And my favorite one so far has been Jackknife Lee, who has done a lot of work with U2 on especially some of the recent albums. And he picked this song and I want to read what he said. He said that he's not sure there is a better album opener. It is a statement of intent. This is the invention of rock and roll. It is ridiculous. It's Flood and U2 at their best. This is the high point for rock and roll production. When U2 are at the best, they seem to marry a European aesthetic with an American noise. And this is one of the best examples of that. It's glam, techno, rock and roll, blues, profane, and sounds like people having a ton of fun. That's really well said. But I love that, that it's a statement of intent. Yeah. So Zoo Station, funny enough, is a real train station in Germany on the U2 line that takes you to the zoo, (laughs) which I think is just hilarious. But there was apparently some images or stories that Bono got really excited about, about, you know, Berlin coming down and like the zoo animals getting loose in the street and that plus babies (laughs) (laughs) plus everything else. Plus the fly, plus those glasses, turned into what is Zoo Station. We didn't mention it has been played 249 times. I've heard it four times, most recently with you. Yes, I've heard it four times as well. So I've listened to the album many, many times in preparation for the pod. And, you know, and I think I said this for Joshua Tree, too. The art of the track listing. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Because if you listen to Octung Baby on shuffle, it makes no sense. No sense. I did that today and it like drove me crazy. I've yeah. never done that before. No, I never had done it either. It makes absolutely no sense. But it's this progression into darker and darker and darker. And it's just brilliant. But I would love to know who did that and what their thought process was because this is the best. This is just... As an opener, that could be one of your questions for Bono over Whiskey and Cake. Yeah. Like, I mean, clearly, like, you listen... You know, I listen to albums and I feel like there's certain songs, you know, especially with new albums, I can listen to a song and say, this is these are what's going to be the singles. Yeah. Because generally with U2, they really... Play, they play to the radio on some songs. On certain songs, they're very, yeah. very clear, and we'll get to that later. But I'm just absolutely fascinated with 
the track listing. Um, a fun fact about Zoo Station, there is a B-side from one of the singles, I don't know which one, Lady with the Spinning Head. Mm-hmm. And that song actually spawned Zoo Station, The Fly, and Ultraviolet. Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting because I've heard the song and I could see how The Fly and Zoo Station, I can't quite see Ultraviolet, but I haven't thought about that more than right now. I feel like I've heard it. And I feel like that B-side is kind of a fan favorite. People seem to really like that one a lot. I feel like it might be on the single for Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses, maybe? Because I know they have a version, an awful version, of the Rolling Stones painted black. Yeah. Yeah. And so I heard that on U2X this morning, and I was just like, it's time to listen to a podcast. I don't know why that <laughs> that version just really upsets me to no end. Um, I heard something today that, and I turned on NPR. I forget what it yeah. was. <laughs> I'm um, not even sure it was a YouTube. It actually, it might have been Pride. No, <laughs> that makes sense too. Well, we were texting. <laughs> I was going to work one day last week, I think. Yeah. And we were texting what was what we heard on U2X that morning, and. I think I was at a stoplight and Pride came on and you said, well, we had a good run there. <laughs> You're both listening at the same time. It was like, really well, good songs. And then Pride, you're like, well, that's that. Again, Pride is like one of the best songs ever in the history of the world, but not my favorite U2 yeah. song. Yes. Which, and if it's you want just... to know more about that, listen to our old ep about It's just so water. popular, so it's on all the time. Like, you just don't miss it. No, definitely not. So I, station, think, I think it's on the one single. You know what? I think you're right. It's that and and Satellite of Love. Just because I Googled it and all the buffalo yeah. showed up. One, Lady with a Spinning Head, Satellite of Love, and Night and Day. Well, so that's all I have on Zoo Station. It's I could say a hundred things, but I think we should keep going. It is epic. Epic. A statement of intent. I feel like that's yeah. all. Like, literally get on the train we are leaving the station without you. Someone called it, this might have been Niall Stokes. He called it the beginning of a journey into the dark underbelly of human experience and the suggestion of a child's eye view only made it more poignant. The dark underbelly of human experience. Welcome to the U2 show, y'all. <laughs> Tart talk. Tart talk. If anyone okay, wants so to we... take, a, take a gander at writing us a Tart Talk jingle... Until, you know, Bono comes around for us. Well, when we say anyone, we mean, hopefully, Bono or Ez decide to write something for us. If you guys are listening, firstly, love ya, miss ya. You're the best. Please hope. (laughs) Thank you. That's all for now. even better than the real thing which has zero babies zero god damn it (laughs) it's been played 422 times and i have heard it 29 times that's a lot out of 61 i've heard it 17 times i don't really remember it on pop mart i remember in 2011 being insanely bored and wondering why the band liked this song so much right Something happened on the I&E tour when they were, like, in the barricade doing it. Something clicked for me. I never liked... I, it was never my favorite song off the album. Like, right away, it, it didn't 
totally click with me. But on Popmart, the graphics for it were the evolution. Oh, to the man with the shopping cart? Yes. So I don't have any memory of it for... And I don't know what... Didn't check to see when are the 29 times I've heard it, but I actually did have a kind of turnaround with it on 360. We will address this more later, but they really didn't stand by the songs from No Line on the Horizon when they came back right. in 2011 to the U.S. at least. They started the shows with even better than the real thing. And I love that. And I was really like, why in the world would they see it? Why, why would they do that? Like I saw it on like, whatever, the shows before mine or something. And yeah. I, what a stupid idea. And it really, really worked. And I loved it for totally loved it for E and I. It was just for E and I. Feel like it, they reinvented it. They totally reinvented they it. Took and it out for a song that I just really and rewrote it. Disliked. Yeah. A song that I really disliked, you know, just kind of brought new life again. Because I mean in 2011 I was and I, I complained about it and complained about it and then I, the first show I saw where they started with even better than the real thing, I was like holy shit, that is yeah. not bad in that context. I don't remember it in the Zoo TV show, but I was crazy. Well, the whole concept, it started Anxious. out as a song called The Real Thing and is actually goes back, not, I was thinking about like Bono and the televangelist, like you can't tell the difference between, you know, the televangelist yeah, and the Hill Street yeah. Blues, but he was saying he'd be like listening to the radio, watching TV, and he'd hear this wonderful, angelic, or great song, and it turns out it's just a commercial. And it was like, what? Like that? It's just like pop or something. Like, how is this amazing music going with it? So they thought like the real thing was kind of a dumb title, so it went even better than the real thing. But it's really, and as much as I, this is pertinent, I swear, as much as the fly is in station i feel like this is where we really meet him for the first time because he is just like so dismissive yeah and so like all the rest of that is shit you're gonna be singing and i'm just gonna be like whatever like it's just even better than the real thing whatever so it's an interesting fun fact coca-cola at the time had a ad campaign that was they said coca-cola the real yeah. thing richard branson asked if he could use even better than the real thing for his virgin coke law yes which you two said no but i think it was a pretty clever idea i mean it was worth a shot oh totally <laughs> worth a shot totally so in I think it was octo baby some zoo tv mtv show the edge told about this song which i've never seen it anywhere else but he said that he was watching the gulf war and, yeah. you know, on TV that everything was going on. They interviewed this guy that was, I guess, flying a drone or something. And he, they, he was asked about, you know, shooting places, like sending missiles out and shooting stuff. Right. And he said, you know, he's seen it behind a screen and it's it's like doing the real thing. But he was really doing it. Right. So it was just... You know, you look at a screen for so long, which is, you know, everything comes back to that. And mm -hmm. you start, you know, not knowing the difference between reality and imagination. There are a few things with this. I really think that even better than the real thing kind of has, has a cyclical meaning. Because right now, all anyone does is question the truth. 
Yeah. And that's what this song is about, is yeah. questioning what's true and what's not true. It's all just like a voyeuristic kind of thing. To I, I have a quote from Bono, and this was not in present time. This was back, I don't know how long ago, but he said people are no longer obsessed with the question, what is the truth? They want the what's even better than the real thing. They don't want the truth. Right. Well, I mean, I, I think, I don't know, I guess the vibe, you, we should question the truth. That's not how society should be. But, okay, so my one of my favorite line, I only have a few of these actually that I highlighted, but we're free to fly the crimson sky, the sun won't melt our wings tonight. I have that Which one is, highlighted too. <laughs> really? It's, mm-hmm. it's Icarus, the story of Icarus, who had like wax wings and they melted because he flew too close to the sun in, in Greek mythology. And that's, I don't know how that came up, but I remember being young in elementary school at some point and my mom telling me that story and I don't know what it was in reference to or anything but like I just remember I mean, when this song came out like I feel like over the years I've gotten a great education from you two from lyrics that come from poetry yeah. that come from all sorts of places but I remember hearing that song and like I know what that's about I read something from Bono that that is a he's referencing the mentality of people like at a rave where they are just unstoppable. Well, like I think it, I think it also has to do with being a rock star. Oh, because you sure. have to have that yeah. balance of, you know, you need to get out there, but you can't get out there too far because we'll too your close wings to will melt. I like yeah. how this song on the E and I tour really turned into the, the part of it turned into a call to the fans. The whole, like, take me higher, you take me higher. They really turned that into a lyric that is, you know, you are our drug of choice, as Bono would say. I, they, they brought the song into the moment. The real thing. Yeah, the real thing. Okay, should we move on? Deep breath. The third track is number, is, the third track is number one. The third track is the song <laughs> one. And when I say that I had friends that told me to go get this album, they told me to go get this song. They said, Jenny, go get this album by this band and go straight to song number three. And it just changed everything. And for the longest time, one was my absolutely favorite song for that reason, because of nostalgia and this and that. that that's changed yeah. over the years. I mean, I have to give it credit because it's also the song that saved our band. And this song has one baby in it. One baby? Okay. One baby. The line is, it leaves you baby if you don't care for it. Cheers. Lathayam. Slanta. 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 Octung, baby. This song with its opening countdown, the drumsticks from Larry, is just gorgeous. And I know people, fans who have gotten sick of the song live. And I think that's just oversaturation. And I've been to 50 shows and I've heard it 50 times. It has been at every single show I've heard and I would desperately miss it. I think I wouldn't, but when I'm in it, I'm in it. There's something magical about it. And you see that in From the Sky Down, that movie you mentioned. Oh, definitely. Magical moment in that movie. Magical. It's been played 827 times. I've heard it 59 out of 61 shows, and I have no idea what shows I didn't know what that would have been. Right. Though, I, I mean, I know it, one was a Pop Mart show, I'm pretty sure. You and I both had the same reaction when... So maybe, friends, fans, listeners, you didn't know, we used to have a rule. 
pandemic and U2X really broke the rule. But we weren't allowed to listen ahead. We had to only listen to the album we were researching and anything before. So when we finished Rattle and Hum, I think you listened to Octave before you went to bed. Yeah. I waited oh, till the next morning. Yeah. But hearing one, I don't remember last time I listened to Octum Baby in full. But hearing it in context as the third track on this album practically brought me to my knees. No wonder they play this song almost every night. Right. I have some connection to music in my car that I don't have outside of my car. That's which fair, is I get that. Really, it's kind of a crazy thing. Like, I remember Vertigo. And when I heard those songs live, it was like, hey, that's my personal song in my car. <laughs> right. like, no one else hears this because I never drive anyone anywhere. <laughs> it's just me going to work. And it felt very personal to me. Yeah. And so generally when I have a reaction to a song, it's not, you know, sitting around my house. It's listening to the, the song on the radio. Right. Um, and I feel like an album doesn't really start for me until I hear it, you know, in my car. But yes, that's the true test, I think. Yeah. But so, I mean, I, I know where I was when it came on in my car when I was doing my full Octon Baby re-listen. I mean, I can tell you such specifics about it. Like, it felt like it was a life-altering moment. And I'd heard this song 59 times live. God knows how another 269,000 times, right. you know, on the radio, on my phone or whatever over the years. And, I mean, I had to the point where I was, like, driving and crying. It felt to me like I had never heard it before. Like, I had chills. I had all the feels that you have when you hear a song for the first time. I was walking the dog. I know what block I was on. And I had my AirPods in. And I just practically melted. It sounds so dramatic, but yeah. it just hit me so hard. I think a lot of it has to do with the times that we're in right now. I think a lot of it that was pre-pandemic. When I had my meltdown was not pre-pandemic. Oh, okay. Because I know but when I, we started listening was. Yes, yeah. Okay. But I think I just listened to it in my house. I gotcha. I'm, and I maybe had listened to it on shuffle or something, which no, I don't think I did. I think that's just only recent. But it was absolutely. I've only been going that route to pick up stuff from Target since the pandemic. Right. I was coming back from Target. Like, I know the traffic light I was at. Like, it's so vivid to me. And it does sound dramatic, but it was just this experience that, you know, and I don't even remember having that experience when I first heard the song. I mean, I know I had a big experience. Like, I, I remember hearing it also for the first time. But I also, you know, you get older and you have different perspectives on things. You see a bigger yeah. picture. And when I was in high school listening to it, you know, I got seen any sadness or tragedy or my life had been a pretty peaceful world, you know, up into right. high school. And just and on the surface, my reaction, it seems like a love song. Yeah. Bono says that he's had hundreds of people tell him that they played one at their wedding, which, 
Holy crap. Come on, people. Well, you know, Edge Listen does to lyrics. to the words. <laughs> Listen to lyrics. That's not a love song. Um, I know. He says, are you crazy? It's about people splitting up. Right. So I can cite several different places where it's a direct quote from Bono that says the song is about something different. Yes. Like, where the have no name. Like, you never hear him talk about that song meaning twice. He, he well, just, those are and, his um, favorite songs. The ones that have, like, a thousand things in them. Right. But, I mean... And over time, songs have, you know, they reinvent themselves. You know, please, to me, I hear it. And it's very specifically about 9-11. And it came out in 97. Right. So, I mean, just over time, the lyrics take on their own life, I guess. But the first thing I ever heard about this song was Bono saying that it was about a son telling his father that he's gay and HIV positive. Yes. And that stuck with me for a really long time. Like, I read those lyrics and I'm like, this is absolutely what it's about. But it's not. It's about any kind of relation. I mean, it is about that. But it's about any kind of relationship. It's about the band. It's about Edge and his wife. It's about all of it. It's all of it rolled up into one. Bono says that there was melancholy about it, but there was also strength. Brian Eno wanted to rid it of its melancholy and so talked us into taking off the acoustic guitar, which is perhaps the obvious accompaniment, and went to work with Dan and Edge to try to undermine the too beautiful. One is not about oneness, it's about difference. It's not the old hippie idea of let's all live together. It is a much more punk rock concept. It's anti-romantic. We are one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other. It's a reminder that we have no choice. I'm still disappointed when people hear the chorus line as we've got to, rather than we get to carry each other. Because it is resigned, really. Mm-hmm. It's not, come on, everybody. Right. It's, you know, we need to deal with I this I have a together. quote. A quote from while you're looking for that, Bono also oh. said the words fell out of the sky, which I love. <laughs> well, so I have so much on this, and I can't, I'm not even going to go into half of what I have here, but I think it was Flood that said Bono wrote 90% of the lyrics at the mic. Yes, I think um, this just it arrived. Yeah, right. So from the sky really, down, is that what that is? Yes, I, maybe so. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, so first song that they brought, as I understand it, to Hansa was Mysterious Ways. It just wasn't working. It was a, we'll get to more of that later. But Edge was like doing different treatments to it. And during one of the treatments, Bono found one. He just was like, let's grab that part yeah. and see what we can do with that. Bono said that, it, and it's on the same note that what you just talked about that that song now makes sense as an acoustic song but to get to that point it had to be incredibly deconstructed and if you heard the acoustic first it was not a good song Uh, which i found really interesting because i think it definitely works well as an acoustic yeah it's really interesting how that happened yeah, but he said it had to be deconstructed to get what they got. The other thing, and this is me, but this song, you know, they talked about going to, you know, they went to Berlin on the day of reunification. And when you think about this song, it is reunification of the band because 
this is what got them. This is, they had, you know, just such an awful experience in the studio. And once one started to come together, they got excited about the album. The album started to come together. Right. It started being able to work together and feel the magic that is you two again. It feels cliche, um, but I think it's the truth. Yeah. So Bono says that when you really listen to the lyrics, people go into it and think it's this ballad and it's not it's got a punk rock concept to it it's the anti-romance mm-hmm. song yeah for and sure. again that people just for some reason really do not hear that well i think people hear what they well, want to so- hear that the other, so my other to the lyrics no people don't listen to lyrics so the last thing i have on one was absolutely edge mentioned we get to carry we get to carry each other and he's yeah. like, you have to think about that. It's a privilege. You know, it's not an obligation. It's a privilege. Like what you were saying before, that's a really important. That word says so much yeah. in the song, get instead of God. Yeah, God is um, an obligation. You have to. Yeah. And it's a privilege you get to carry each other. In From the Sky Down, it's really about this song. I mean, it's... this song is... They visit it so many times. I actually have a little bit more to say about it. It's later in the... I generally have a problem with singles. It's like, I don't want people to tell me what to listen to. Yeah. Like, I've said this all the time. I don't like DJs. I don't like people telling me what to listen to. I want (laughs) to listen to what I want to listen to. And I don't want to hear this song over and over and over and over and over again because somebody thought it was a good idea to release it as a single, like, to bring my attention to that song and I think for a really long time that kind of held me back with one like I don't think I appreciate it as I wouldn't give it the time the thought that it deserved but now I I cannot say one bad thing about one nothing Nothing. it's perfection Bono says it never did get to number one although it did get voted the greatest song of all time in a Q magazine critics poll which meant a lot it's a slow burner, like a lot of you two songs. That's great. So that's great and all, but I've always felt like Q Magazine was, you know, like subtitled YouTube. <laughs> yes, <laughs> of course. But I like that thing about being a slow burner, that it, yeah. it takes a while to get. And for me, I mean, it wasn't that it took a long time. It wasn't a slow burner in terms of what it was. It was just the time I gave to it. And generally the big big singles are the songs i can't stand on an album right but not one well it changed my life so i gotta give it that thank you to ali and ashley for telling me to listen to it even though you'll probably never hear this (laughs) thank you to ali and ashley as well because otherwise jenny wouldn't be my friend it's true very very true yeah okay shall we move on to the fourth song Which is our namesake song. It is our namesake. Track four of Octung Baby is Until the End of the World. And it has zero babies. Oh, damn it. Uh, So it's been played 610 times, and I've heard it 48 times. I've heard it 39. Yeah, it looks like every tour. This is a mainstay. This is a live. I can't remember. So I think about it of how Bono and Edge fought each other. Yes. (laughs) live and i know for pop it was like the bullfighter like bull the bullfighter yeah it was the bullfighter i cannot remember for elevation or 
Vertigo, but for 360, it was the bridges. The bridges were epic. But on Vertigo and Elevation, around the heart and Ellipse, whatever it was, it was like Bono became the bull. Okay. He would still do it. And then he ended up on the ground kicking the guitar. Okay, yes, you're totally right. For some reason, my memories of those two tours are very vague. It just meshes together for me. Yeah. But I can picture them on that, like, the skinny catwalk. Now that you just said that, I totally ended up with Bob. Yeah. And then for I&E and E&I, it was Bono having Little Edge in his hand (laughs) and spinning on him. (laughs) Little Edge. Little Edge. So this is a really interesting song because y'all know that we're not so big into, like, the religious side of things. But this is, like, straight out of the Bible. (laughs) It really is. So Edge says that the themes of Autumn Baby are betrayal, love morality, spirituality, and faith. And this is the jumping off point for betrayal. Betrayal and spirituality and sexuality. Like, it's all there. It's all right there. The story of Judas and Jesus has never sat well with me because generally that story is the origins of anti-Semitism. Since then, Judas betrayed... I don't know that well enough to have made that connection. I have learned Yeah. Yeah, that... You know, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, and then Jesus was captured. I think that's how the story goes. I'm pretty sure. And again, I'm Jewish, so I learned this story from the song, basically. And then (laughs) I read an article about anti-Semitism a few years ago, and it came up that the basis of anti-Semitism for a lot of people. So, like, I didn't understand it, and then I did, and it sat uneasy with me for a while. But I just love this song, and I know that that's not where most people go with that story. And it's not specifically the lyric, which is how we got our name. In the garden, I was playing the tart. I kissed your lips and broke your heart. That's the Judas and Jesus line. And... It turned around, so it's not the whole story. It's about betrayal in general, which is friendships and marriage. In one of the books that I read, said that when they were in Berlin, that that's how Larry felt that he was betrayed because they he was just totally left him at a hotel. Yeah. And he just left him. Left him, and I mean, he was probably being an asshole to begin with, but still. You know, it's and his band. It wasn't, there weren't cell phones and Uber and no, no. all these things. Um, like. Right. And he, when he met them up at the studio, he was, you know, very honest about his betrayal in, in terms of being part of the band, being part of the community and connected. Right. So, I mean, as, again, with every U2 song, there are layers and layers and layers that you just have to peel back and figure it out, but... Man, what a great song. Oh, man. And just live, it's just so explosive. Like, Edge's guitar is just insane. It's like... Insane. And it, it's ta- just it's like such, ready for takeoff. It's such a performance live. It is. Again, I mean, it's a great song anyway, but if you've only heard the album version, you're not getting even no. a fraction of the value of Until so, the End of the World. Two fun facts with this. Maybe three fun facts. These are all from Bono. One is that the song started with a Bono guitar riff. 
two, he wrote the lyric, he says very quickly, in Wexford in Ireland in his father-in-law's house. He woke up one morning and it was in his head. And I guess he said something to Allie about it, about a conversation between Jesus and Judas. And she's like, that'll be a hit. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what you write like that. roll songs about. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not the usual pop affair. No. <laughs> um, and this is also interesting because you know it's written he sings it in a really low key like there's not a lot of movement in his voice in it and he said that he was looking for the right key for his voice they tend to improv off of guitars which uses a lot of D's and E's and A's but he sings better in like a B flat so he says and because it's such a conversation he finds that he's able to sing these conversations better in this lower tone so that's why it's very like kind of rumbling because it's a conversation versus a melody of a song, which I thought was kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Sense, the fly is the same way. When I sing down low in that conversational tone, my lyric can be more like your prose writing. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Well, he probably, on Octone Baby, he probably hit all of his highs and lows. Yeah. So this song was originally written for the Vim Vendors movie Until the End of the World. And I guess the band was so excited about it. They're like, we're going to give it to you, but we're going to keep it too. And we're going to steal the name of your movie. (laughs) I realize we've been talking about song origins bunch of quotes from Bono. We haven't been talking a lot about the band and the actual musicality of the songs, but that's just everything's amazing. It's so amazing. It is, but everything is just so well blended that it's hard to tell where Bono starts and Larry ends. It's just so cohesive. I have a few notes coming up on some other things, but I just don't want people to think that we're ignoring Adam. I mean, his bass just rumbles through this whole album. I mean, I didn't say it, but the bass for one, holy crap. Amazing. That's like the song. You know, I mean, it turns out every song is the bass line. Right, but if you if you took the guitar out, if you took two guitars out, if you took the drums out, I mean, every song is, but one is just bass perfection. Yeah, and we should mention that more because it is true that he's just really good. There was a song, I think it was, it was definitely pre-one, but he apparently got really impatient with... Bono about where they were going with it and Bono was relentless with him and he said why don't you just tell me what you want me to play or why don't you just play it and he handed Bono the bass thing is with that is I suspect Bono just did play it (laughs) I don't think that slowed him down very much but that said it's a band and you can't just have two people or one person in the driver's seat all the time exactly hey should we move on to the next song yes the next song is track five who's gonna ride your wild horses this song has one baby one baby i forgot Prepare about the drink. baby cheers cheers octong baby i like this game we cannot do this often and how many shots have we had so far because you know what you guys we're gonna tell the truth here that we recorded for like 30 minutes and it wasn't recording we thought it was so we did have a pre-shot then we had a starter shot and we've had (laughs) so i think this is five shots including the starter shot yeah we got a few more to go you need to listen to the song on headphones because it is a different song very different than it is on speakers because the intro bounces between your ears in the amazing way 
And I remember being in my car and hearing that the first time. And I thought my speakers were broken. Actually, I think one of my front speakers was broken. So I was <laughs> only hearing the strings. And I think that's how I figured out my speaker was broken. Oh, that's funny. It was funny. really, it's gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. There is, and I don't know what it's called, but there is a version on the single, the Who's Gonna Ride Your Wrong Horses single that also has painted black. That is, if you're not going to hear it on your headphones, that's the version you want to hear. If you're listening okay. on headphones, the album Maybe the version. album, yeah. I kind of like that mixed acoustic version a little better so this song i just have great memories of when the video came out the video is just kind of adorable and bono has a short temper and like <laughs> i'm sure it's all an act apparently the song makes him very this is like a personal betrayal it says this song started as a love song but ended up about like some kind of sexual jealousy i read some quote from him like years ago about how this song just is really personal and you can see that in the video how mad he gets. And I was like, how is this one more personal than the rest that are pretty freaking personal? So I don't know what that is. And I've never read anything about that since. One of the things that I read was that after many years, Bono just confessed that so many of these songs are about oral sex. Yeah, he's like, some people have kind of told me, and I guess it's the and cumulative he, effect. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he said. He didn't think about it like that. He thought about it, you know, a few references. He didn't think of what cumulatively it was due album. to the album. About and it's like, sex. <laughs> I don't really think that anyone questioned those things ever. Because it's pretty obvious. But he also said, which, again, just Bono just being an amazing Bono. But, you know, in terms of equality, that is equality for women is has always been one of his yeah. near and dear causes. And he says that that's where your equality is. It's a very equal it's, position. Yeah. He says. I don't know about that, but... <laughs> I guess there's something for everybody. Don't try this at home. Right. <laughs> so um, I have another Jackknife Lee quote for this. Okay. I literally pulled the car over and texted you. <laughs> okay. When I heard this part. Because to me, in the moment, it was just mind-blowing. So again, Jackknife Lee on Sirius XM, he says that this song doesn't sound like anything else by anyone else it feels like you're standing in the back of a hall listening to a band soundcheck it's a brave recording on one of the bravest albums made by a rock and roll band it doesn't feel written it feels found these are the kinds of things you pray for when you're making music that you might get something close to this i love that it doesn't feel written it feels found because it is it's kind of a crazy fucked up mix of music none of it really it goes is. together it doesn't. And so what my big comment on this song is I like the beginning and the end, but there's something about the middle that just isn't. Yeah. I don't like the middle. Like, I don't like... Really, I think it's the from the lyric, the deeper I spin, the hundred will soon prove. I just don't like how that... I don't like the tempo. I don't like... Yeah. There's something it's, just about that. It's off. That it doesn't... I mean, it's supposed it is to be off. off. But it's... Yeah. Well, I'm, so, I'm glad to hear that because I love the song. I just have a part always where I'm just like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So I love the beginning and the end. I have two things, one band related and one personal. I, think, I have this written down and I think it came from 
edge. I'm not sure where it came from. But, and of course they've played it live a good few times, 115 times. And he said it doesn't come alive well when played. And then I was thinking about that, and then that along with how it's this angry sexual jealousy kind of thing. And then I think about when we heard it in 2018 in Dublin, and how in that moment, that just seemed like a communal joyous occasion for the band. Like they all gathered together at the end of the catwalk and they were smiling and laughing and playing the song so beautifully. Like it was amazing. It really, it it, so well. So it really was like a personal moment, which they shared with all of us. It's like we were intruders on this moment. Like we shouldn't have been seeing it. So whatever this song has become to them, I mean, I just, it takes me back to your brother Will's statement about how they haven't revisited stuff but maybe they had to reinvent it right or reimagine the meanings of it so i don't know that is my big question for bono over whiskey and cake is what happened to this song that took it from the recorded version to that version we saw in 2018 interesting how many times have you heard it i've heard it three times you heard it six i heard it once on elevation once in 05 at MSG and then in 2018 with you. It's a cool song. Yeah, very. So I have one more thing I want to add for who's going to ride your wild horses and that's a little personal note. You know, we have songs that tie us to certain moments in our life that kind of help us power through and there was a time I have two kids. They are 10 and 12 and I had a pregnancy between them that ended up not taking and I ended up having to drive to the doctor by myself. My husband had to go to work. My sister was in town and was watching our younger kids. And I had to go and I knew what was happening. I had gone to my one doctor and she was sending me to another. And this song came on the radio. And I remember being in that car and being like, I should not be alone in this car. Like someone should be with me. Why am I powering through this when I don't have to power through this? This is ridiculous. Like if I just asked, someone would be with me. And our boy showed up. Oh my gosh. You've never told me that before. I've never have. No. So I don't always go there all the time when I hear that song. No, I usually go to that last show in Dublin. But, you know, it's kind of like an angel sitting on your shoulder, you know, like, it's okay. Yeah. Part of me wanted a sign that I was going to get to the doctor and, that you know, oh, everything's actually okay. Like, pregnancy's fine, blah, 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 whatever. But I knew in that moment that it wasn't, but that everything was still going to be okay. That is amazing. The band says that when they put songs out, they don't own them anymore. They belong to the experiences that people have with them. So that's mine. I also fully believe that people should talk about pregnancies, good and bad. So bring it on. You got stories you want to tell? I'm here to help. (laughs) I'm here to listen. We're always a safe space for everything. Exactly. No, but thank you for telling that. I really didn't. I can't believe I never told you that. That just really hit me. I think I would remember that. Yeah, that's it too. Hey there, friends, fans, and listeners. Jenny here. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a pretty big U2 fan. And if you're a pretty big U2 fan, you probably know about Bono's work in Africa through the organizations Red and One. 
Now more than ever, it is imperative we give them our support as they are not only fighting the AIDS pandemic, but also the COVID-19 pandemic. And you can help. Go to red.org and one.org to find out how you can be involved. Okay, should we move on to the next song? Yeah, so this is the last song on side A of Octo Baby. This is the sixth song. It is so cruel, and I think we should just take a moment of silence, appreciate it, and then move on. This may be one of my favorite songs they've ever written. I have a hard time saying that because usually I learn to love songs when I hear them live, and that's not happening with this, except from The Sky Down, where Bono does an acoustic version of it, but that's different. This song, it's like agony and ecstasy all rolled into one. So Cruel changed my life too. I was a freshman in college and I had gone to this specific liberal arts college because they had a good athletic training program and I wanted to be an athletic trainer. And I got into the program and I kind of didn't like it that much. So I started taking some electives and I took a creative writing class and we had to write some short stories and I took a combination of So Cruel and She's a Mystery to Me, which I have recently learned are actually cousins. They are related. And I wrote a short story using some, I was honest about it, using some of those lyrics to help move a story along. And my professor was like, I don't care what you use as a catalyst, you need to keep writing. If it's lyrics, this, this, and that. And I ended up graduating with an English major. That's and then amazing. it took me 20 more years to go into personal training. But right? <laughs> <laughs> I would have been making more money earlier on if I stuck with the athletic training. But again, you 2 takes you in strange places sometimes. Yeah. This song is nothing. They've never written anything like it. No. So, well, they played it four times ever, and I've never heard it. Never, I've never um, heard it. One of the things Edge says is that there's a sound in Octone Baby, that reoccurring sound, that is blood on the tracks. And he doesn't mean it like blood on the tracks, like the Bob Dylan album. I think he means it just the sound of yeah. a train wreck. And he said that is no more evident than in So Cruel. There's a Bono quote that I have that he talks about Edge and Ashlyn splitting up. He says about So Cruel, he says, that's in there, but it's unfair to lump it all on the Edge and Ashlyn splitting up. That was one of the saddest things. I was their best man and we all went through that. It was only one part of it. There were lots of other things going on internally within the band and outside it. People were desperately trying to hold on to each other in a time when that's very difficult for people. Looking around, you see how unprepared people are for the deals that they have to make. And I just thought that was really profound about So Cruel because, again, a lot of these songs, they do obviously come from Edge and Ashlyn splitting up and the band's reaction to that. But yeah. There's, you know, so much more content in it. Anyway, that's what he was saying. Bono wrote this song on the guitar himself. Yeah, he says it's so mostly his song. song. Yeah. Yeah. So they recorded some at Elsinore in Dalky, and he said that he would walk to work and back from mm-hmm. home, which I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah. Especially if he had had his fly shades by then. Like, what the hell? <laughs> 
What is that? Walking down the street. Anyway, he said it was one night late when he was there that he came up with So Cruel. So to me, I hear studio. Yeah. I think I, I wrote it for another song well, too because they're two songs that I hear studio. We'll get to that in a minute. There is a, but, there is a quote from Adam that says the song was lifted up by studio trickery. But you hear ambient noises. I hear ambient noises, but it's also, and I don't know use of terminology enough to go into more detail, but it's something about like the sound of like a hollow drum. Okay. It's, yeah. like the, it's just this weird echoey kind of. Mary was playing an sound. Irish drum. Does that make it different? Yeah, I resonate. I wonder if it's that I type don't know. of drum. No, but I mean, I generally hear a song or two on every album that sounds like studio. And okay. I don't know if it was not mixed as much as other songs or whatever, but I can hear it doesn't sound like it was recorded in tracks. It sounds like it was a live room and you can hear everything that's going on. And it's not like listening to original Beatles tracks and stuff. It's like you can hear people talking yeah. in the background. It's not anything like that. It's just more, you're right, of some ambient sound. But I hear it and so cruel. And I'm not complaining about it. Well, it, it I says just, that it doesn't sound completely mixed to me. It says that Adam was playing the acoustic bass and Edge was on the acoustic guitar. Larry was playing an Irish drum. And then they said that Flood overnight did a couple of treatments in the track was like transformed into what it was so maybe he was just working with those raw yeah says so cruel deals with possessiveness jealousy and obsession the part of the brain where sex and power are connected in a heady and addictive cocktail i think that's from now stokes but this song i swear if you just put on your headphones and like close your eyes that this song literally takes you somewhere else like i feel like i start Oh, it sounds so crazy. Like you start flying or something. But there's just like these three little piano notes in it. There are parts of the song that are so simple that just like hold the whole thing together. And then Bono's lyrics. The Bono's lyrics are just the most gorgeous poetic thing I've ever read from him. My favorite line, which I have highlighted, is between the horses of love and lust, we are trampled underfoot. To me, that's just a level of poetry. He visits poetry a lot, but that's just a different level. Oh, I have chills. You can picture You know what he's talking about. Right. I mean, you think of a relationship that's falling apart. Maybe there's a third party. Maybe it's the band, you know, and there are different ideas of which way to go. You just get trampled. It's crazy. I love... I have so much highlighted. It's just ridiculous. But her skin is pale like God's only dove, screams like an angel for you love, and she makes you watch her from above, and you need her like a drug. It's all sex. Just beautiful. But it's just so gorgeous. Love dying every hour. We have a baby. So <gasps> we need to drink. We do! Oh, baby. Oh, this... It's like so heartbreaking. He says, the men who love you, you hate the most. They pass right through you like a ghost. They look for you, but your spirit is in the air. Baby, you're nowhere. Like, it hurts my heart. Oh. I don't even know what it means, and it hurts. Remember the podcast that we listened to with the Scots? Yes. And they said, one of them would say, Achtung, baby. <laughs> yes. One of them would say, Achtung, and the other would say, baby. Uh-huh. And- 
a la Moira Rose, pre Moira Rose. Bebe. Bebe. That's our toast for this one. Is okay. tongue. Bebe. <laughs> well, my friends, I could literally write an essay on this song for you because I did once. But again, I would have just given it a moment of silence because it's art and not in a way that's rock and roll or music. It's absolute art. Beautiful. Well, that's the end of side A. It's a good side. We have yammered on for quite a while. Should we take a pause and come back on side B with the next episode? Sure. I think that's a good idea. Until next well, time, yeah, gentle well, listeners. May your music be loud, your whiskey be strong, and your baby Guinnesses be plentiful. Yeah, baby.